The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Once again, really nice to be with everyone tonight. <clears throat> I thought it might be nice for the evening discussion to work together to uh, just illuminate this I think, essence of our practice, non-distraction, what gets in the way, kind of effort that's useful, what's our understanding? <clears throat> Is it a helpful understanding or not? And how this, uh, you know, there's this uh, simple teaching from Carlo Rinpoche, he was one of the Tibetan teachers that came to the West a while back. He's been dead now for a while, but, but quite an uh, impactful teacher, evidently. I never met him. But he had this simple teaching. He called them the three gates to liberation. Do not fabricate. Do not meditate. Do not be distracted. <laughs> it's really powerful that, you know, fabricate would be somehow thinking that in this moment or when I'm meditating or when I'm trying to be a good human being, that somehow I need to fabricate something. I need to construct some meaning, right? So when we're bringing the mind into the present moment, <clears throat> we can remember it doesn't really require any kind of mental construction. We don't need to be afraid of mental constructions, thoughts, right? But our practice isn't dependent, right? Isn't it true? Awareness doesn't need the thought, I'm going to be aware now. Right? Can't you be aware, present now, without any mental construction, any mental fabrication about you being the one who's aware and doing a good job at it or doing a bad job at it. We really don't need that construction, that fabrication. And even more so, this is a little bit more radical, but do not meditate, right? And uh, I mean, I always feel this is a little bit of a setup, you know, because that could be meditation, right? Not meditating is meditation. So it's it's just this endless loop. But it can still be a useful instruction if our mind, like one of the constructions our mind is constantly constructing is, I want to be a good meditator. How should I be a good meditator? Am I being a good meditator? Is someone else being a better meditator? Or am I the worst meditator? and on and on. So to just give ourselves permission that whatever it is we're doing, it's really not so much about this mental activity that we would call meditation, like bringing my attention to this object. Those can be skillful means for sure, right? We've probably, many of us, all of us maybe, have tried out different meditative techniques, counting the breath, visualizing something, 
repeating some prayer or some chant or some phrase. There's so many skillful means. But they themselves, those techniques, those skillful means, that's not the meditation in the deepest sense, right? And a lot of times this activity of meditating becomes sort of autopilot for the mind. So if you've done some of those, you know, whether it's some of the harder meditative techniques like labeling your experience, breathing is being known, hearing a sound is being known, or something like that, or counting your breaths. What's so interesting is to notice how the mind can do even those practices that require a lot of effort, it can do it on autopilot. Someone can be there counting their breaths or labeling experience or tracking the in-breath, tracking the out-breath, but be oblivious. Just like you can drive home through complicated traffic with a lot of this turn and that turn and speeding up and slowing down and be completely not there doing it. And we can be completely lost in thought, right? We can go through our life, <laughs> you know, doing amazing things. I'm, I'm guessing there's probably very little we can't do as a human being on autopilot. You know, a lot of us are in relationship with our partners a lot of the time on autopilot. Not really there in that full, vulnerable, sensitive way. So these three instructions to do not fabricate, do not believe, you could maybe expand this first one, do not fabricate to, don't think, don't believe that I have to have a thought, I have to be telling myself what I'm doing in order to do my practice. It's Our practice isn't dependent on any conception whatsoever. Including the conception, the thought, I shouldn't be having any thoughts. <laughs> and do not meditate. So whatever we're doing isn't dependent on a technique, like what we do with our attention. And then do not be distracted. And that's what we played with during the guided meditation. It'd be interesting to hear, maybe we'll take a little time right now. And uh, yeah, just be nice to hear from a few of you if you're willing, just what kind of learning, what was hard about that? What did you notice that maybe you hadn't seen as clearly before? What questions are coming up around that curiosity about the, what is that experience of non-distraction? and the difference between moments of distractedness in a moment or moments of non-distractedness. And then the corollary question is, what's the particular kind of intention, effort, effort, interest that allows us to sustain non-distraction? Anybody wanna weigh in? You can just go ahead and unmute yourself. It's nice to say your first name and Maybe share your pronouns, if you don't mind, so get a sense of how people identify, if you want. 
Anybody want to start? Anybody not distracted now? Los Angeles tonight, and um, I think maybe because of Buddhist studies and Siwa, um, what seemed to be pulling me out of pulling me into distraction was stories of blame. Uh, something that came in an email earlier today, and then uh, parking. There's a lot of tight parking stuff going on here, so thinking, do I need to get up and move my car? And and then just um, really noticing that if I just checked in, did I do actually any harm? You know, email interaction, listening on the truth of, you know, worrying I'm parked in the wrong spot. Was I actually being inconsiderate? Was I actually, was I actually doing any harm, right? in those things, and when I realized no, then, then so it's sort of like blamelessness helps reduce distraction with learning. Yeah. And in any sense, Carrie, while those um, juicy nuggets are, were coming up, you know, any sense of... Um, a, a kind of distance, not actual distance, but like not taking the bait. Because, you know, some things, you know, when the mind gets a little bit more settled, we actually can recall things we should have recalled a long time ago, you know, like, oh my God, I got to do something with my car um, or it's going to get towed or something like that. And, uh, you know, just like we wouldn't dismiss the thought hmm, seems like the building's on fire, right? But but some things come up that I don't really have to take responsibility for whatever that thought is pointing to right now. And there's that little moment, it's a kind of death, like I could embody that thought, taking responsibility, even if it's just sitting here problem-solving, or even being the wise friend of myself and kind of talking myself down, right? So even that role of self-care. And there are moments when the mind doesn't have to take any of that bait. And it's not that those impulses to think this or that are inherently unskillful. It's just the mind may be discerning that there's something even more skillful, which is letting those impulses arise and die without the mind taking hold. Yeah, any, any of that that you recognize with some of that juicy stuff? Um, I think, uh, uh, I'm not sure. I think that what was helpful was just, you know, the instruction to uh, notice distraction and not distraction, like tuning back into not being distracted and really 
sensing what was going on in the body and in the heart, and that just feeling really impersonal. That that helped kind of break the spell of the of the story of blame and. But but like I said, also just the the, the story of uh, not I'm not actually the blame, right? It's I think rest and blamelessness. Um, and then sensation, just turning into the sensation of that, and that sensation feeling storyless. Yeah, yeah, that feeling tone. <laughs> I had I had kind of the the last half of my day was a little bit um, all over the place. So when I was sitting just now with all of you, there was this you know I kind of got settled, but I it was this very unpleasant um, let's call it scatteredness, like the natural and unavoidable reverberation of having lived the way I've lived the last four or five hours. Then you get a mind like this. And then there was a kind of a strong impulse like, I gotta clean this up, you know, which for me would might mean like, you know, I'm gonna really attend to something or I'm gonna suppress something. And it was just interesting to, to kind of explore non-distraction with a mind that seemed, uh, undeveloped, to say the least. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Carrie. How about other thoughts from folks or reflections, questions? This is Jennifer Sheher uh, and Paco. Um, I, there's two things that I know, I really appreciated the instruction, first of all, of that it doesn't have to be, I, I find that if I am constantly getting distracted, that that isn't meditating. And I forget that the practice is coming back to the present moment, um, that the realization that I am distracted is part of the practice. Um, and then a couple other things that come up is I start to not trust my mind, like it's sneaky. So I want to be vigilant. And then I find I'm furring my brow and I feel so I come back to the body that this it's this constant sense of, I don't trust where my mind's gonna go. So I gotta watch it. And I also get where oh, yeah, I'm in the present moment, I'm aware, and it's really boring. And this addiction to wanting something, it's just, I, you know, I'm blaming it on all the <laughs> the stuff that that is going around, um, that the media and entertainment, and it's this, like, oh, yeah, I'm in the present moment and there's really not much going on. So I think I'll go back to this really cool story I've got going on. Um, so those were things that came up for me. Thanks. Yeah, thank you, Chen. Yeah, and there's, it's not like, uh, it's good to play the edge, which is really that middle instruction, do not meditate. 
which another way to say that is, don't believe the thought that my mind needs a Dharma intervention, right? And it's like really interesting when the mind is acting out in some way to, to sort of hold the possibility that everything will resolve themselves without me or somebody having to take the role of the meditator sort of riding in on the horse to slay the defilement. But there are time, absolutely times when we want to get on that horse and ride in and slay the defilement. So it's not like we don't want that Dharma move. We just don't want to be compelled to use it every time the mind is messy or the, the energy is dissipated or we're in the vicinity of seductive material, you know, that's possibly going to cause the mind to get identified and absorbed and lost in a bubble for some time. So that how do we make sure, you know, one, like the classic is just having heard a lot of people report their practice to me, is you, one kind of relatively common thing is, oh, this arose, and then I started doing metta for myself, right? And and uh, as opposed to this arose, and then the, the mind, and then wisdom started to get interested, oh, it's like this now. This is something being felt, being known. And then in being aware in that way, then this other, you know, like noticing that somehow it didn't require that I do metta for myself, that somehow things resolve or don't actually require that Dharma medicine, that Dharma intervention all the time. And this is that end of practice that we might call a more radical trusting, where that instruction, do not meditate, is really useful to play with. But I, I think play is the right word because there's absolutely times when we want to be that wise or relatively wise parent, going through our meditation techniques to see what might be a, a, a kind of active, positive intervention in the mind stream. Because there's some skillful recognition that we're driving toward a cliff or, you know, this isn't, we're planting seeds that aren't helpful and it would be really useful to uh, change things up. So when I pay attention to what, when I bring what to mind, when I use this particular Dharma intervention, does do more wholesome states get set in motion? Right? How do we apply the brakes or how do we turn away from, as opposed to when something's really unpleasant or messy, see the empty nature of it, see the not-self nature of it, and we don't need any other intervention to kind of change course, suppress it or whatever.
other thoughts that come to mind from folks? Questions? Hi, Anne. Hi, this is Anne in um, <clears throat> Sheher and Ho-Chunk land, um, now called Madison, Wisconsin. And um, a couple of things, that was a really fun um, in, invitation to, to um, play around with that idea because I've been really noticing and curious about, um, it seems like the mind or the mind's habits, the conditioned mind, really feels safer lost in thought. There's something very, um, oh, I don't know, everything gets buttoned up, you know, like there's no, there's no open space, kind of. And so, um, and I also find it really interesting, like, what is it that that notices that that there was distraction and now there's I'm no, there's noticing like so I I just decided to um, play around with um, I don't know how to say it exactly like um, feeling my a presence in more space and um, and somehow. Um, giving some little guidance that, that 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 was safe to do. Just to kind of play around with the fact that I do think the mind, my habits, the mind just feel much safer, just lost in that. This openness can feel like, whoa, where's the edge, you know? And um, so uh, that whole idea of space and distraction, I never sort of linked together like that or, or non-distraction. But I am really curious about what brings what brings the mind back. And habit. That was fun. Habit. Yeah, I, I mean a good habit, right? It, it, oh. Uh-huh. The habit, like we are, we have been cultivating an interest in being present, and then the more moments of being present the wisdom begins to sense the lightness, even though it's like you suggested a little wild and and sometimes apparently uh, too wild, you know, too much. But there's also something very alive and free. And there's a pleasure in that being alive and free. That is, the mind likes... And so then it creates a new habit to return because it's curious. Is this the way? You know, is this the way? Might this deliver a kind of release that the heart intuitively seeks? I did notice a lot more, oh, I would call it maybe genuine curiosity about the process. I think in the past... I've been like, well, what am I supposed to be curious about anyway? You know, and not, like now it was just I could uh, I felt some ability to just inhabit that curiosity. Yeah. And um, yeah, so. And and right at that edge that you're talking about, Anne, one thing I'll notice a lot because of the way that I've trained my mind over the decades, it's like when there's even a subtle uncomfortableness with how open and unfixed everything is, I'll notice one way or another, 
the habit of my mind to want to ground or fix with a particular object, even something subtle like stillness, even space, as useful as that is. Now, it's not the object of stillness or the object of space, it's the way the mind is holding. So to create a sense of security almost, or yeah, solid yeah. ground, and as opposed to more of a free fall or, or what we might call being open, unfixed. Mm -hmm. So I think the way you're, you're, you're talking about it is really useful for us to just understand there's a price to being open or non-distracted and there will be that natural pushback, like, can I really trust this? Or how can I have my cake and eat it too? Like, because we start to feel a lot of space in that openness, but then the mind will fix on the idea of space, or we'll feel a lot of stillness, but the mind can glom on. It can turn any experience into the memory or the idea of that experience and then hold it, right? And then all of a sudden there, there's a subtle distraction that is the, that wisdom is not yet aware of. Because mm -hmm. we yeah. think we're present, but we're in the thought that we're present. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Yeah. And the only way I, I figured out you know, anybody, all of us have figured out that is that <clears throat> when I have the thought that I'm present, it feels dead. So then yeah. I know, okay. Because <laughs> we eventually, you know, we have a lot of confidence, just that correlation of being present and the how alive, how it, how alive it is in that openness, you know, unfixed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thanks, Anne. Nice to see you here. Other thoughts from anybody? Your experience with this or just your own um, questions that are coming up or reflections you've had? Yeah, this is Cutler. Um, he, him. I guess during the meditation, I thought it was, I appreciated your instructions of kind of non-distraction. And then you had said, you know, or something positive, like experiencing and trying to kind of notice the discrimination between distraction and non-distraction without getting caught in Okay, I need, okay, I need to be non-distracted now, which is, of course, the flip side of the coin of being distracted instead of just kind of knowing the experience. Um, and I was also curious kind of about, you know, this idea of like who in that conscious awareness of getting to that place of like, I'm listening to my thoughts, so there's something hearing what's going on. I don't know what that would be called in, you know. Awareness. Awareness, sure, okay. And then that's going and then getting to this kind of deeper place of, okay, just this experience being known. 
And then a layer on top of that of, oh, I kind of want to latch onto this. This is nice, you know, and then I'm like caught again. Yeah. Uh, but does awareness know that subtle greed coming in? I mean, clearly it did because you could report it like you just did a second ago, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so the, but it's hard to be content when we see that greed coming in, which is nature, right? Because when there's something cool going on in the mind, right, then that's the cause for greed. Whenever there's something cool or nice or new or pleasant or expansive, greed will come. Just like when you see someone eating ice cream and you like ice cream, greed will come. Because that's, that's what the mind does around pleasant experience. So the key is not to be confused by the greed. That, like awareness can know that too. But it's karma, meaning when there is greed, there will be the unpleasantness of that greed. But knowing the greed and the unpleasantness of it is subtly pleasant, right? To not get hooked by the greed is pleasant, but greed is still greed. You know, it's that that impulse, that reaching like you, I think you went like that too, right? Like you kind of want to hold on. Yeah, and it's it's a very interesting place with non-distraction as we explore that. Non-distraction of really unpleasant psychological, emotional states. And to really clarify that distinction like, this is an unpleasant state of mind, but being aware of it is subtly very pleasant and wholesome. But the state is unpleasant, like knowing that I'm really irritated, but knowing with some real balance, oh yeah, I'm angry, I'm upset, feels like this. And there's some that space around the anger is wholesome and pleasant, but the pattern that's gotten triggered that we're calling anger, that's a contraction. Just like we did when we're aware, when we have a balanced awareness of physical pain. Right? Isn't that interesting experience when we're aware, like the predominant experience in a meditation is pain in the knee or whatever. And we have that same dichotomy between really appreciating the samadhi, the stability of awareness that knows the pain, that's a thing of beauty, but the knee pain is still knee pain. And it almost seems like a paradox. Any other thoughts? Did you say Cutler? Yeah, Cutler, yeah, I have a, I need to change my Yeah, yeah, any other thoughts to share? Oh, um, yeah, that's interesting, kind of no, stepping, noticing the kind of degree around that, and then also kind of going a step farther, further in making that discrimination of like, oh, okay, here's this kind of greed coming up. And I liked how you talked about the effort it takes to sustain that attention, because I had never really kind of seems to me like a particular, like a gentle 
pushing or softness of some like it like it's too much and then I'm now I'm caught again yeah and, and too little and you know I'm riding up the, the mind's going where it goes so it was interesting to try to kind of feel that out yeah and this is you know obviously this is a more subtle meditation instruction that we're working with tonight and so the edge between wholesome and unwholesome efforting is very fine like just like you described and uh, we need a sense of humor about how we go too much too little i mean like we keep losing it one way or the other but that that's like a really great puzzle you know and they can bring up a lot of curiosity like about how to yeah how to discover just the right attitude the right kind of efforting Thanks for all those great comments. Other thoughts from anybody? Mark, Chuck here. Hi, Chuck. Hey, him. Um, I want to echo a little bit of what Anne said earlier when she talked about this being somewhat fun. And there was a playfulness <clears throat> to your instructions that um, uh, kind of set a sense of initial ease uh, in my mind as I was moving forward. And there was a couple times when I could come back to that uh, non-distractedness on my own without your prompts. And I had a gratefulness for that. And I would watch the juicy thought uh, I'd see it and I'd go, that's okay. You don't, you don't, you can be here. Um, but I'm going to focus on the breath. You can be here. Keep going. And it would just kind of dissipate. And I had that sense of uh, non-distractedness and kind of moving into a little samadhi. And then I would go, I think this happened three times. I'd go, no, I got this. <laughs> and that was the prelude always into distractedness. <laughs> so that's an observation of uh, this mind that I had tonight. Um, and thank you for this teaching. Yeah, thanks for the great sharing, Chuck. And uh, yeah, and that's a really great little moment to unpack. Um, and Cutler talked about this and maybe even one other person, but that the pleasure of actually having some continuity, some momentum with that present moment, non-distractedness, right? It's like we forget, wisdom forgets to be interested in the inner pleasure of the practice. And because it doesn't occur to wisdom initially to be aware, oh, this feels really good. And it's like this, it's that feeling really good is like this. Because wisdom doesn't have that clear recognition of the pleasure, that's why we get distracted. That's the hook. So intellectually now hearing this, we can resolve, for all of us, we can resolve that in those moments where there is some continuity and the momentum is building and the inner pleasure that happens as the heart-mind becomes more unified, more samadhi, more continuity, we can now resolve to be interested in the pleasure. Oh, 
This is the pleasure of seclusion being known. It's just pleasure. Just the pleasure the Buddha talked about being known. That's all it is. So we have that balance like we're, that's, that's keeping that edge, like not too much energy, too much effort, not too little. So it's too little when we don't recognize the pleasure. It's too much when we think because there's a lot of pleasure, I should really want it to last. That's too much. Like, oh, I should do something so this doesn't go away. Sure enough, just like you said, Chuck, <laughs> it goes away. <laughs> yeah. Any other thoughts, Chuck? Right. Thanks for sharing. Who'd like to go next? Other reflections on this topic? But of course, anything that has been coming up in your practice that feels good to share with the group that you want to bring up. Jessica, um, she or they pronouns, and I was um, practicing with you know. I, I, lately, I've, there's been um, I've been noticing sort of like um, I think when uh, at one point gave the instruction or I heard the instruction to pay attention to the ending of things, and so like the distractedness. So like there's there's some like sort of like wanting to sort of define ending or something like that, so that I can see, so I can see through the all the thoughts and all the stuff, all the images. Um, so there's there's something about like trying to like make make an edge or like notice an edge or or like notice if, if there is one or a break or a space or something, and like what and what I'm what I'm noticing that in like, that process and even tonight there's there's like this um it's sort of like this arc of, of like you know it's like heaven and hell kind of happen in, in the moment it's sort of like what Chuck was talking about where there's this really sort of like a, you know a full spectrum of like being being sort of present being there having a sort of like a joyful kind of like presence and, the, and then like all of a sudden things will kind of twist and it's like, this is, this is not good. <laughs> you know, I don't know how I ended up here, but it's like, it's, it's, it's almost like that sort of like the not self thing where it's, it's sort of like the nature is kind of going through and it's really not even me that's, that's doing anything to, to make those changes, but, but seeing them nonetheless, like, like, like the wind going through the trees or a storm going through. It's weird. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because we're, the mind is formulating the issue at hand in different ways. And in one moment, the mind might be formulating the situation at hand in terms of a self who wants a nice mind. And in the next moment, the wisdom might be formulating the issue at hand in terms of the mind that is interested in not clinging to anything, allowing everything, not having to even be dependent on having a nice mind, a clear mind, a wholesome mind, right? And so we'll see those different motivations operating and, uh, and we can just be aware of that. Oh, this is the mind that wants to clean things up that is motivated, that it wants one of those beautiful, exalted, peaceful, still, radiant experiences that we get every once in a long while in meditation, right? 
It wants one of those. Oh, this is a mind that doesn't want to even bother needing a different anything to be different than it is. And it's almost like we're we're getting a taste, an intuitive taste of different frequencies of freedom. Right? There is this kind of freedom when when the heart mind is really in a nice place, then our mind is feeling free from unwholesome states. And then there's a mind that is not attached to wholesome or unwholesome. And that's a more refined freedom. It's just that the mind doesn't trust that freedom as much as the freedom of having a really nice mind. Because it, it just doesn't have as much experience with it. it hasn't learned how trustworthy, non-clinging, non-grasping, the mind that doesn't grasp. The mind that's not dependent. There's a, this is from, some of you know this passage, I've used it a lot and it gets used a lot in our wider insight meditation scene from Ajahn Sushito, one of our great elders in our Western Dharma scene, early Buddhist Dharma scene. He's a British person and uh, has been a monk for 40, maybe more than 40 years now. And uh, <clears throat> yeah, this is his uh, article, Original Openness. You could probably find it online. And uh, just, I just have a thing that showed up on my screen. I don't know, uh, Mary, did you put a something on our screen? No, not not purposely. Okay, um, can people still see me? Yes, but I have it on my screen. Yeah, it's a little funny. I'm wondering. Uh, what happened, but if anybody... It says, that, it says that it's from Ricky. Oh. Ricky, did you do something on your screen? I'm wondering if, um, Mary, there's something maybe you and I can do where we can uh, not allow people to put something. Let's see. Well, let me just read this from Ajahn Sushito, because it, it's, uh, it's really useful about how openness and awareness, that it, it can't be a stance like, oh, I really like the idea of non-distraction, I really like the idea of openness, and then it becomes, like I mentioned earlier in our conversation, it can become an idea the idea of being open or the idea of non-distraction. And then it can get misused. So then I think I need, you know, to look this way, not, not distracted or open. And uh, when actually in this situation, I should be running away. I should be turning away. Because what we really want to be non-distracted with or open to is how the mind is relating. So this is how Ajahn Sushito says it. Openness then is a careful practice rather than an ideology that insists on openness to all people at all times. Misplaced faith and openness or trust that isn't backed up 
by a mindful assessment of what you were put in your faith in, is subject to being abused. What is always skillful, however, is to be open to yourself about what's happening to you in the here and now and checking it out in your body and heart. Yeah, and that just seems to put it right back where it needs to be. You know, like, uh, I can be honest about what the mind is knowing. Oh, this is what the mind is knowing. Yeah, we still have a little bit more time. Any other thoughts here? Could you say a little bit more, if you're willing, about, you talked about kind of the, the, the uh, you know, wisdom not having at times the discernment of pleasure being known and then this more refined dance or level of, of, you know, not needing wholesome or unwholesome states, this kind of non-grasping or non-attachment and how that relates to a kind of intentional, like, uh, for the, the sila practice, a kind of intentional, uh, uh, cultivation of, you know, the precepts and, and, and wholesomeness. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good place for us to dig in a little because, you know, as practitioners, we have to be willing to practice with the mind that is showing up. And sometimes the mind that's showing up for us, like the kind of conditioning, habit energy that's gotten triggered, is really beastly. And then we, the practice is going to match the frequency, the quality of the mind that's showing up. So like in terms of sila, like you were mentioning, Cutler, then we'd want to really call upon our ability to refrain or restrain ourselves. So we've got strong energies that are getting triggered, strong habit energies, and we meet that strong habit energy with another strong habit energy and say, no, I'm not going to do that. And we kind of get down in the dirt and we kind of put our feet in the earth and we say, no, I don't want to do that. Because when I do that, this happens. And that's not for my well-being or anybody's well-being. So, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll basically do whatever we can to keep ourselves from acting in an unskillful way, if we're pretty clear. But that's not our only move. You know, sometimes the mind is more balanced. It has more faith in the wholesome qualities that also are alive in our habit system, right? And we can call upon, so instead of opposing and stopping a bad habit, we turn to a wholesome habit. Like all of a sudden we meet an unskillful thing that's gotten triggered with a really wise sense of humor. And we really laugh with ourselves about this silly but very powerful negative habit that's gotten triggered. And it can just cause it to, you know, the, the kind of love and wisdom and the humor can really cause it to pop like a bubble pops. 
And we call upon that wisdom or that metta, that loving kindness, or that uh, even seeing the emptiness of something, the impersonal nature of something. So we call upon a habit that we have some confidences there. We bring it to mind. We bring in the Dharma, right? So that's a more positive way that we can intervene. When we're, when we're in the vicinity, we have some confidence in those wholesome qualities. Because they're very preventative. You know, when I have that serene, loving sense of humor, my mind has a lot of Teflon from the unskillful habits. Because it could just sort of like, oh yeah, there's that again. Oh, lust, I know you. Oh, I want to, you know, give a zigger to my wife, but I see it, you know. I don't have to do it because I see it. It's funny even, you know. And we can even say it to our partner. Yeah, you know, like, yeah, yeah, this is what I, you know, I'm the raging partner who doesn't feel loved or something like that. And it's we can even share the humor and the kind of illumination because there's enough wisdom. And then the even more subtle intervention is just to trust everything to resolve that 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 the dance of whatever's been triggered it all resolves on its own there doesn't need to be anything present but a radical trust and really a trust that it's not that we don't bring in loving kindness or we don't bring in wisdom but the trust is that stuff will come in without there being a practitioner bringing it in right and it's kind of interesting when we have that we'll just see how metta shows up and then our how discriminating wisdom shows up nobody initiated it nobody brought to mind brought it to mind the causes, the natural unfolding of causes and conditions itself brings all the appropriate Dharma medicine to mind. And that's really beautiful and empowering, you know. But we can only practice at that level of, you know, absolute trust when there's absolute trust, <laughs> you know. And the non-attachment would be that level of, of absolute trust. Yeah, yeah. Because the non-attachment is, is basically that everything is happening on its own, including the awakening process. So I don't even need to construct a somebody who desires to be awake, who desires to be skillful. That's extra at this point. So the, the hard thing at that third level, where it's all about trust, non-attachment, is wanting to do a grosser move but it's not needed. So actually the distraction at that more subtle level is doing something that in another moment would be very skillful. But in this moment, it's a distraction because it doesn't, it isn't required. It's too gross. Even a so-called really good Dharma move, like to remember may all beings be at ease, you know, it's like, it's like a, yeah, it's, it's a constriction in the heart, believe it or not. To construct somebody who wishes well for all beings is a contraction relative to the free fall of non-attachment. Just to put it into words.
Thank you. Yeah, thanks for the good question. Any last thoughts before we wrap things up tonight? Really appreciated the great sharing and com uh, comments. Yeah, Jillian. Uh, I just have a, a quick anecdote. So I, um, so on Sunday I was at the city center and it kind of relates to what you're just saying. Um, and some of the earlier comments, like some, something in, caught in my head where I was like, wait, freedom is available like at any moment. And I was, you know, doing some yard work today and I was like gross and sweaty. My glasses are sliding off my face. I just felt, you know, in any other, you know, in any other moment, it would be miserable. Just, ugh, this is gross. I want it out of here. I want to be <laughs> cold and have a cool smoothie that somebody else made, but that's, you know, uh, I want to be somewhere else. But then I remember this little thought came, freedom is available anytime. And it was all that I needed to be like, you know what? I can be free right here. That was it. I was like, yeah, it's like this. I'm sweaty and it's slimy. <laughs> and going until the work is done and there was just that little bit of freedom that let it all be it was really amazing yeah and and actually part of what's truly amazing is that that thought arose at that moment right though that's like and did jillian decide to have that thought in that moment yeah no, Jillian was bitching and complaining and wanting someone else to make her a smoothie who wasn't even in the house. Like, you know, the Jillian was pissed yeah, yeah. and really ready to be done. Yeah. And of course, that wisdom that arose in that moment has causes. And the causes are having conversations like we had tonight and doing the practice that we were doing. It plants seeds. And then it's what transforms our, the mind's habit energies. And eventually these habit energies, these wholesome habit energies have their own feedback loop. So the momentum begins to build. It's not Mark building the momentum even at some point. It just starts to build because it's self-reinforcing because of the lightness and the freedom. Yeah, that's a nice way to end, Julian. So happy to hear your little anecdote. Really beautiful. It's so nice to be with everyone. Join the Wednesday night group. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.